listening to the Batman Universe Commentaries, brought to you by thebatmanuniverse.net. Join the staff of the Batman Universe as we watch another exciting incarnation of the Cape Crusader from his extensive media library. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Commentaries, and today we are bringing you a fan-requested episode, uh, Batman the Animated Series, The Demon's Quest, this is part one. If you tune in two weeks from now, you'll hear Demon's Quest part two, but this episode we're doing Demon's Quest part one, which as you know, focuses a lot on Ra's al Ghul. So joining me today is... This is Melinda. And this is John. And we are going to be the staff members doing commentary for these specific episodes. So we've been doing a number of Batman the Animated Series commentaries for a while now, so there's not a whole lot to talk about as as far as the intro and our expectations of what to expect, because it's, I mean, at this point we've done a lot of them. But uh, what do you, what did you guys think of Ra's al Ghul's portrayal in Batman the Animated Series as a whole? Not necessarily in the episode we're about to watch, but just as a whole. Um, I'm in kind of a different position because this was the first exposure I had to Batman the Animated Series. I always, you know, say, oh, I need to watch them. But I've really never uh, gotten around to it. And so this was my first introduction to Batman the Animated Series, really. Um. And so these, this episode, his portrayal, um, aside from finding it really jarring that he's referred to as Rachel Ghoul, which obviously very different from the Nolan verse, um, he's portrayed as a, as a bit more manic than he is, um, in certain other medias, but it was definitely an interesting portrayal, an interesting voice choice, um, for the character, because it's not, a, it's an accent that you can identify. Yes, that is an accent, but it's not one that I can pin down and say it is from this location, um, which I think was a really appropriate choice for Ra's al Ghul or Rachel Ghul. Yeah, I would agree with the, the statement about the accent. You know, I think the fact that it's a little bit all over the place, it, you know, does reference quite well the fact that he's been around for, you know, depending on which comic book writer you believe 600 years or 400 years or however long and he's he's been around and he's been all over the place um i think that was actually quite a clever touch but overall i think the character in the animated series for me has never really been that threatening um i don't necessarily think he's been used to his full potential in this i mean when you compare it to the comic book series, he's always been a real thorn in Batman's side. He's he's his intellectual equivalent. Um, he really pushes Batman. I mean, he nearly brings Gotham to its knees in Contagion. Um, and he's always been a real threat. And I think in these, I don't know if he is. He just comes across as somebody who's just a very angry eco-terrorist and I don't think that's ultimately what 
just what Ra's al Ghul is about. So I didn't really get into comics until a couple years after this episode actually aired, and when the episode actually aired, I thought it was kind of interesting to see this character that was outside of any character that I really knew about as far as this character who had been around for hundreds of years, and I think it's it was kind of interesting, but um, we'll talk more about Roz, obviously, as the episode goes on. So just... Queue up your video at 000 with the Warner Brothers logo on the screen, and we will start in 3, 2, 1. I know we've talked about the introduction a lot, but I don't think we've ever talked really about the music. It's... I, I can't remember who scored it, but it's Shirley Walker. Shirley Walker. It's unbelievably hummable. It's like really catchy um, and quite distinctive. Kind of, you know that it's the animated series without even having to see the TV show. And I think that's actually quite interesting and quite good because it's something that you know straight away, in the same way that you hear the Simpsons theme tune, and you know it's the Simpsons. Yeah. I think the music just throughout the show is incredibly well done. So here we have <clears throat> Robin Clearly, the time has moved on. He's no longer living at Wayne Manor. He's in college. Uh, it appears as if he's breaking in, but obviously, um, I don't think that's actually the case. It's also interesting that he has a portrait of Bruce Wayne on his nightstand. He also has the Flying Grayson's poster, yep. which I think is really adorable. Yeah, also it was a nice touch that they didn't really... I mean, certainly in the, the first parts of the series, they didn't focus on Robin really that much. He was he appeared occasionally, but the story always was, well, he was at college or he was away and he would... So when he did appear, it was quite an important and quite exciting as well. I kind of laughed to myself watching this for the first time because to me it was like, oh, Robin the boy hostage. That's great. That's the first I'm getting of this. Now, the fact that this episode is actually written by uh, Dennis O'Neill, who originally introduced Razo Go in the 1970s, is really cool. The This story is actually based off of a story that appeared in uh, Batman 232 and Batman 244, both of them written by Dennis O'Neill. So... It's kind of cool. Which is interesting because, as I said earlier, as I said earlier in my introduction, and I'll sort of elaborate as we go through, he's not as menacing as he is in the comics, which I think is a shame. Um, but you know, maybe that's me. Um, I haven't read 232 or 245, 
but um, were they perhaps more to the character that is that is being portrayed in this than, um, say, Rosal Ghul is now in the comics? Um, like, is it is it possible that the portrayal has just evolved in the comics to be so different from what the original appearance was? Personally, I no. I I wouldn't think so. I mean, I'd have to. I must admit, I haven't read the the introduction for for quite a while. It's it's sat on my bookshelf, but you know, it, before he was sort of a in it. He's, I think, he is quite dark and he's quite dangerous. Whereas to me, in this, he's he's. Just sort of an angry member of Peter, in my opinion. Fair enough. Um, I, to me, this episode was kind of... It was given away with this scene, um, because he gets the envelope, obviously, addressed to Bruce Wayne. Inside, it's addressed to Batman. So whoever has sent this knows both of his identities, and in Waltz is this complete stranger who knows both of his identities. So it was, it, to me, it felt spoiled a little early on. Um, I don't know how viewing it, you know, when I was much younger would have would have played out, but as it is now, that kind of disappointed me. I think this in- introduction is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, they, they basically introduce Ubu as, you know, obviously he's the right-hand man to Ra's al Ghul, but, you know, otherwise you would have no idea who Ubu was if Ubu just appeared by himself. So what they're referencing right there is they're actually referencing the previous episode of Off Balance, which was a uh, Batman the Animated Series two, where uh, Talia actually sees Batman without his mask on. You don't get that a lot um, in shows where they do call back to previous episodes, but this, from what I understand, the series was really great about that. Um, I mean based on the fact that we have two parters alone, this is really great about self-referencing. Yeah, it almost creates its own kind of universe, I think, really. Um, in where, you know, Batman's grown up, he's been Batman, so it's almost kind of like the comic book stories where you'll get those references back which I think is a nice way of doing it and a nice nod to to it, to Batman's history, really.
Anyone who makes eyes like Ra's al Ghul does can't be trusted. <laughs> but I love the way Batman looks at him. It kind of is if... I, it, there's that look of kind of, I know that you're behind this, is the, the look that I get from him back in that scene back there. I wonder how much he's playing along and like Belinda had twigged early on what was going on. I love interrogations like that, no matter where they appear. I'm going to tell you everything about the plan except one crucial thing, but that's all I know and I can't say any more. My favorite thing. I don't know for sure, but I think this is also one of the first episodes that goes all over the world. And it's interesting because most of the time, obviously, most of the episodes take place in Gotham and you see the backgrounds of Gotham. But this, you know, this, you know, we've had Calcutta, which looks absolutely nothing like Gotham, and now we have a rainforest, so. He does read a lot, well, uh, view a lot more like just a regular eco-terrorist in this than someone who is, you know, super fanatical the way he is in the comics. He does read a bit more, but I I know quite a few who are very, a few of my friends are very kind of, not eco-terrorist, but they they quite happily quote facts and facts and facts at you and go, oh, well, this is happening and this happens. So, but the fact that he sort of does it and then that's his focus rather than sort of what he is in the comics, which is where he wants to take humanity back to a better time, admittedly under his rule, but he wants to, he doesn't necessarily want to wipe out all of humanity He's kind of um, a social Darwinist in a in a lot of ways. He just wants he wants yeah. the strongest to survive, and the best to survive. It's like population control. That's really what it kind of is like. Yeah, exactly. He thinks the world is becoming too populated, and because of it, you know, all of these horrible things are happening. I do find it interesting, though, that, you know, Ubu was so obsessed with not letting Batman in, you know, in front of Ra's al Ghul, but he lets him go up the stairs to the temple by himself, and it just so happens that Batman gets locked inside of the tower. With a giant panther ready to eat his face off. I want to know where these villains find these giant cats. Like, these are big, way bigger than regular panthers. I wonder where they get them from. There must be a pet store that specializes in them. Oh, they probably get them from, uh, what's his name, the dealer? That guy who appeared in Paul Dini's run, who specifically finds the crazy henchmen uh, hideouts and stuff. Oh, that's right. Yes. He's your, your go-to guy if you need anything as a villain. So, Panthers, Abandoned Carnivals, you name it, he's got it. 
like an evil Toys R Us. And he makes such a huge show of letting Roz and Ubu out first there. And you can kind of tell, okay, he's, he's got it locked down. It's kind of fun that Batman, who has, in pretty much every other incarnation of, of media, has a gazillion bat suits for different situations. But in this case, he wears a nice big coat on top of his bat suit. It's a stylish parka, Dustin. Yeah. But I was always under the impression that his suit was insulated or something, because he's running around in essentially tights in Gotham Winters, so you'd think the Himalayas would be nothing. I could honestly see the, these, this episode and the next episode after this being turned into like a live-action movie. If it was already established that Robin existed and Talia already existed, I could really see this being a live-action movie just because of the, you know, the the wide, uh, worldly locations that appear in it. Well, and that right there is a classic action sequence: a, a chopper going down on a mountain. Do they look like do they look like evil Zorros to you, the henchmen? Yep. Just me. Especially since they the their masks look exactly like Zoro masks. Yeah, they do. I like to think that there's a cult of Zorro fans out there who just believe that he should be evil. 
and they've been hired. And Denny O'Neill is their leader? Yeah, uh, I would go with that. Yeah. I think they've, you know, people think it's the Illuminati that's really behind running the, the government, but it's in fact evil Zorro's. Also, the first time I saw that mask, it it reminded me so much of, I think it was the widening gear a few years ago, but Baphomet's mask in that. Exactly like it. Yeah. I like that he raised the point about going with him in his plane, because in that scene, it very much is, oh, yeah, you want to take me on a flight? That seems legit. Let's go. And I like that he explains, no, I knew what was going on. Otherwise, I would not have gone with you. <laughs> I like Batman's eyes when he sees her. <laughs> Robin's just like. Yeah, Robin's confusion never ceases to amuse me. <laughs> I like Ubu's reaction, like, huh? What? What do you mean? And she's got another really indistinct accent, which I think plays nicely into the mythology that they've built around these two characters. Yeah, that's why I'd have liked to see Marie uh, Cotillard um, not have donned an American accent in Dark Knight rises and have kept her original one because it was a bit more exotic. I love this exchange because my daughter loves you. Batman goes all uh, you know, beady eyes and then uh, and then Talia looks at him like all sweetly like, yeah, I do actually and then Batman's like, uh, I don't think so. I'm getting out of here. You people are crazy. Batman, I'm pretty sure you change your heartbeat whenever you feel like it. You could totally fake the pulse thing. Yeah. 
think it's funny that uh, Ubu is walking behind but doesn't carry him. Maybe as the the heir, Batman's finally worthy of that joyful task of carrying a rotting corpse. We have no choice. It's not like we could do CPR or anything. No, medical science hasn't advanced that far. I think it's interesting that the stuff is made to look like acid. I was trying to figure out what it was, whether it was water, and if it was water, whether I'd feel comfortable, you know, showering in it. And the answer is a resounding no when you see what happens to Roz when he comes out. He's the Joker. Kiss you, Joker face. If that's all that happens, I'm down. How many times, like, has Talia probably put Raz into the pit, and yet she still runs towards him when he's laughing maniacally? <laughs> and seems surprised by the reaction? Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ooh, to be continued. Alright, so that was a pretty good episode. Overall, thoughts on the first part of Demon's Quest? Um, I really liked it. Uh, there, there are things, obviously, that now I, I think, oh my goodness, how could anyone ever fall for that? Why would anyone believe that? And I recognize it seemed it, you know, not, not a very young audience because scenes like the last one, would, I think, be a little too much for them, but it's definitely aimed for a younger audience than myself, but it it plays well to an older audience as well. It's still got it's still got enough of a plot, and it's it's got a lot of comic references. It's got a lot of things for you to pick up on that I find this a really like, I found this episode to be really enjoyable, and it speaks well to the quality of the series. Um, which is something that I always worry about when I start in on something animated. I think it's got its ups and downs. I think the first half of it is very strong. It's very interesting. It's very good. You're trying to work out whether Batman does know whether Ra's al Ghul is a bad guy or not. There are some nice nods to comics. Um, you, you know, you see references to bits and pieces all the way through. I think the final half, sort of the last five minutes, are does really let the episode down. Yeah, if you're younger, I think that would be scary, but you kind of look at it and you're just going, well, why are they doing that? What's that for? It, it You know, they don't seem... Right. I mean, it's sort of summed up really by 
Talia running towards Ra's al Ghul when he's laughing maniacally. And then, as we said, being surprised by what happens. Um, I didn't think that was particularly great. And I'm, I'm still not sold on Ra's al Ghul's characterization in, in this. He's still just coming across as an angry Peter member. Um, and I don't really feel that he's been overly threatening all the way through at all. He's sort of been the, he's been the narrative driver, but he's not been a, I feel a particularly dangerous villain up to this point at all. I think that in general, uh, there, there, there obviously is that there's, it has its small share of faults, but I think overall it, it's, it does pretty good. As I said, you know, I like the idea of, you know, Batman traveling the world on this this quest, even if it is a test by Ra's al Ghul, to basically can you know convince himself that um, that Bruce is a worthy person to take over uh, his his I guess his league and his organization that he has that spreads across the world anyway. So I think that that is portrayed really well. Obviously, there's some downfalls, but it's not necessarily meant for people who are really overthinking things like people our age. So I think that it, do, it does a good job of introducing Ra's al Ghul. Um, but if you also paid attention, to, well, the other thing real quick just to bring up is if you paid attention when the first time that after Robin gets shot and he's wearing that mask, that's the immediate thought in my mind was, oh, well, that's the demon's head. So that's what I got. So you know, you know, as you're, if you're probably in your teenage years or older, you'll probably see that and automatically think, oh, that's Russell Cool. But, uh, I like the idea that the fact that Batman lays out exactly why, or, you know, how he did, he deduced that Batman, or that Razel Ghul was the one who was, who kidnapped Robin in the first place, because it explains it to the viewer, too. So, there's a lot of really good things about this episode, a lot of them outweigh the small amount of uh, not-so-great things. So that is everything for this first episode. As I said, just tune in in two weeks, and the next episode, which will feature part two of Demon's Quest, will be on the commentary feeds. So in addition to that, you can check out all the things we have to offer over at the website, thebabbinguniverse.net, and you can email us at podcast at thebabbinguniverse.net, as well as leave comments in the podcast post on the website. That is everything. We'll see you guys next time. Yet another reason to not drink the bathwater, kids. Bye.